Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to some of the events, at least, that are going to be moving markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means this week we'll be asking just how independent the Bank of England really is and how well the banks are faring in general. We'll also dial up social media and find out what's happening on Twitter. I'm joined by Philip Aldrich, economics editor and columnist for The Times, Martin Waller, our Tempest editor, there in the studio. And on the line from New York is James Dean, our US business editor. A very warm welcome to you all. Um, Philip, let's start with you. There's suddenly this debate flared up, and I know it's something you've been looking at recently about... Um, the Bank of England's independence, and in so much so that Philip Hammond was put on the spot uh, in Westminster about this question. Um, here's a clip, let me play you first, of what he had to say. Monetary policy is the responsibility of the Monetary Policy Committee, which is independent, and we have no plans uh, to change the way monetary policy is delivered or managed in this country. Philip, do you feel reassured about the bank's independence after hearing that? Yeah, I think it was all a bit of a storm in a teacup, uh, this... Uh, this, these comments from Theresa May at the uh, Conservative Party conference where she said she said there were bad side effects to monetary policy uh, and things have got to change and we're going to change them, which everyone in the markets interpreted as that means the bank is going to either be stripped of its independence or uh, there's going to be some new mandate that comes through which will see interest rates rise and QE never extended again. And what she seems to have been saying, what Hammond was saying, she was which she was she meant to say was that there are distributional consequences savers get hit but uh, people who are wealthy with assets seem to enjoy uh, rising asset prices um, and she said that you know we will we can offset this she, what she was supposed to be saying was we can offset this with fiscal policies with tax and spending policies and so Hammond was definitely trying to draw a line under this whole r- suggestion of a rift or a row between the uh, the government and the Bank of England and he was enshrining its independence. Do you think though that it was inept at this time I mean surely someone should have advised her that it could have been taken that way and what it's led to are questions about the bank's independence because they have after all said both Mark Carney and Philip Hammond on different occasions they will work together to help keep the UK economy stable. There's a there's a couple of things here. The, I think the script, because it was her, her speech was was written by policy advisers, she, wasn't sort of vetted by the Treasury. The suggestion is that it, it basically was slightly naively drafted. The, the sort of bigger question about you know how joined up the Treasury and the Bank of England are in, in terms of how they how they're managing economic policy together. Uh, you know, the, you could say that there are. 
there are questions around that. The the banks' uh, low rates policy, the quantitative easing, they, they did, they cut rates and they increased quantitative easing on August the 4th. Those policies have made it much cheaper for the government to borrow. Um, and th- this comes at a time where you, we expected fiscal policy, so we expected some some increase in government borrowing. So, you know, is it's a happy coincidence on the one hand, because, you know, ostensibly the bank is independent, um, but, uh, you know, it, it, does, it, it does lend itself to conspiracy theories. I think the markets would take it absolutely terribly, any change in, 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 in policy on the bank, would they not? I mean, we also have a, a situation where inflation has begun to go up again, and we have a, a, a chance that the bank will actually hit its target for inflation from the upside for the first time in goodness knows how long. Philip will know how long it was since we did that. Uh, isn't that the market reaction the main concern? Yeah, the uh, I, I think no one expects a rate cut now um, in November or December because uh, inflation is 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 looking like it's going to be stronger than the bank was predicting back in August. That's largely because the the pound has fallen by another sort of seven or eight percent, uh, and also the economy has shown signs of resilience so far. So, if if they went ahead with another with another rate cut, which was what they were proposing, then you might get this kind of these questions being raised about is the bank operating independently again I, I do believe that there is there is complete autonomy in decision making at the Bank of England the monetary policy committee has got nine members on it four members are, are are external but there certainly seems to be joined up thinking between the treasury and the bank uh, which makes a makes a hell of a lot of sense but it does it does raise questions about you know whether the bank is really operating at more than arm's length from from government policy. James, if I could bring you in here from New York, is it the same with the Fed? They've got, what, 10, is it nine or 10 members on the Federal Labor Market Committee? But is there a debate about their independence over there? Um, yeah, well, they have 10 members who actually vote uh, when it comes to, you know, say making a vote to vote when interest rate rises, falls or keeping them level. Um if you believe Donald Trump, um, then you'd believe that those, um, you know, Hillary Clinton and Janet Yellen are kind of in bed together almost because he's accused the bank, uh, sorry, he's accused the Fed over here of um, essentially supporting the Clinton campaign by refusing to raise interest rates until after the election. So there's one more meeting, um, sorry, the two more meetings this year of the Federal Open Market Committee. They're widely expected to raise interest rates slightly in December. Economic data since their last meeting in September has been probably mixed, if not slightly soft overall. So they have a meeting in November. They were at one point slated to maybe raise interest rates then, but that looks um, almost certainly not likely to happen at all. Uh, so, yeah, we're looking at a slight rise in December, but, um, yeah, we'll have to see what comes to pass because, obviously, there's uh, there's quite a lot of time before we get there. There are quite uh, big questions about the independence of the central bank in the US because there, there are only 10 voting members at the moment, but that's because two of the seven governors which are appointed by the president um, have been vetoed by Congress, which is Republican-controlled. Uh, so there is there is a lot of political play around what's happening at the central bank, let alone Donald Trump's endless uh, criticisms of uh, J- Janet Yellen, as as James says, uh, supposedly being in bed with the, the Democrats, because he, he's arguing that they, they're operating a false economy just to, just to sort of flatter the 
uh, flatter the, the Democrat government. So he's sort of thrusting this issue of independence, central bank independence, you know, right into the spotlight at a time when, you know, questions are being raised everywhere because of this necessary interplay between governments and central banks because of weak growth. Well, we're going to see how that plays out. And obviously coming up slightly closer to home, we've got uh, the earnings season. And we're going to get trading updates from a lot of the uh, UK banks over the coming weeks. Martin, could I start with you as, as Tempest, who watches the markets and the individual companies, banks as a sector? They do seem to be in the spotlight, not just for their propensity to carry on wrongdoing in many cases, but to make money anymore. I mean, is that fair? It's getting more difficult. I've been pretty wary of the banking sector for quite a long time now. Um, low interest rates, low margins. One could one could argue um, even that the emergence of the so-called Chandra banks, all these are negative signs. I think the whole problem with the banks, I find, it's the old saying, you know, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Um, I mean, it, it, we will have trading updates from the big banks. There will be more PPI damage. There will be more this, there will be more that. It's the unknown unknowns I'd be concerned about. I've just got no idea what they've been up to for the last 10 years. I don't think anyone else has yet. Fortunately, one day we will find out. James, we've already seen a little bit of uh, certainly what's happening over there in America. Many of the banks, obviously, with with large UK staffs. Your impression so far of the the earnings seasons from the big banks, as I say, we've we've already heard from uh, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley and uh, Goldman Sachs. They seem to be doing all right. Yeah, I mean, we've now heard from the big four in the US, so that would be JP Morgan, City, Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Uh, obviously, uh, I mean, all generally as well, but we've heard from Goldman Sachs, heard from Morgan Stanley, good across the board, with the exception perhaps of Wells Fargo, which is struggling with a mis-selling scandal at the moment. But um, yeah, I mean, all of these big banks, I mean, especially say the likes of JP Morgan, kind of very international facing They've been benefiting quite a lot from the market volatility, so kind of in two respects, just from trading profits and also um, mainly as their clients look to rearrange their portfolios. Um, they've made lots of money from bond trading as well. That's been particularly lucrative, I think, uh, at City or was it maybe Bank of America profits were up by about 33% in the fixed trading um, divisions there. So, yes, the results are, are generally good across the board for the US banks. Back here in the UK, I think it's, it's very hard to make an investment case, as Martin was saying not least because Brexit has uh, completely thrown um, the business models of the banks in the air. Uh, They're all planning on moving operations to Europe at the moment. We're probably going to see stuff happening at the beginning of next year, um, even before Article 50 is triggered, because they're not going to they're not going to hang around and wait for decisions. So, you know, there's there's going to be uh, extra costs. There's going to be lots of extra warnings. There's going to be uh, investment decisions will be uh, delayed. Um, I wouldn't have thought this is a particularly good time to to be uh, taking a bet on the banks. I think I might make a small exception for Lloyds. Now we know what's happened to the government's remaining 9% stake. Um, the prospects of a quite a decent dividend yield. The shares have come back an awful long way this year. Uh, the dividend, they have the scope and excess capital to raise dividends. If, if I had to go for one, I'd probably go for Lloyds, but it would be with a degree of caution. Martin, looking at the broader reporting season as it's happened, looking back over the third quarter, are there any particular themes that have struck you? Yes, I'd be pretty wary of what happens for the rest of the reporting season. We've seen some quite nasty upsets outside the banking sector. As I say, there's always prospect that banks come up with more horrors. That's always on the cards. But, for example, the last few days, we've seen quite reasonably sized global companies like Laird, Senior and Smaller Keller 
uh, today all come up with some quite horrible profit warnings. The, the surprise there is they've all had a huge kicker from the lower value of sterling, which has enhanced their earnings and revenues from overseas. Most of these companies get most of their earnings from overseas, but they've still managed to come in some very horrible numbers, even with that, that, that tailwind. I'm not saying it's the start of a trend, but I think there could be some more horrors out there. All right, well, we're going to leave that there for the moment. We're going to take a short break now, but when we return, we'll catch up on a whole new level of debate. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Welcome back. Well, we have a host of social media and uh, tech companies updating the market in the next few days. One of them is Twitter. The platform live streamed the third and final presidential debate. And here's a montage of clips from the official Twitter website. Take a listen. 33,000 emails. False. Special prosecutor. Temperament. Lied. Lied. Fact-checking. 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 Jail. No. ISIS. ISIS. Women. Locker room talk. Veto power. Subpoena. And on Twitter. You can make it up, James, in New York. Um, everyone uses it, but no one seems to want to buy it. So what is the future for Twitter? Ah, it's, it's a difficult one. I think um, everyone had assumed that it was probably a done deal already when, I don't know, we had Walt Disney, Google, Apple and Salesforce all supposedly circling. And, uh, and then there were none. And Salesforce was the last one to pull out last week and Twitter's share price dropped. And now... It's probably not even back where it started. It's probably it's probably even taken a step back from where we were before all the bid talk came uh, emerged at the end of September. So, Twitter has been. I'm not going to say basket case is probably a bit harsh, but it's been a difficult business to run for the last two years. They've struggled to vastly increase the number of users they have. You know, suggesting that they you know it's a pretty much saturation point in terms of the people that want to use twitter they've also struggled despite that saturation point to actually make money out of the people they've already got because their advertising revenues are simply not high enough so with twitter itself there's kind of the the technology itself is is clever it'd make a good purchase for someone like i mean that's why salesforce were kind of rumored to be wanting to come in because salesforce had tried to buy linkedin earlier in the year they lost out to microsoft um seen as kind of beneficial to someone like salesforce because they can kind of create a i don't know a kind of more a tighter community of users which is what microsoft wanted to do with linkedin as microsoft moves towards kind of more enterprise software getting people inside companies to talk to each other so it might still be attractive for someone, but I think it has fundamental problems that need to be sorted out before anyone's going to buy it. And um, it looks like the people who are coming in to buy it saw those problems and decided not to. So um, there could be some problems. It's reporting, I think it's Wednesday or Thursday next week, reporting its quarterlies. There could be maybe some bad numbers, but um, obviously we'll just have to see. What about Apple? I mean, you mentioned there nobody's interested, but here's a company that on the face of it, is is the leader of the pack and it does make money and has plenty of it. Would it not be interested in Twitter? Is there any tie up there? Um, I mean, I think of all of the companies that were linked to Twitter, I think one of the weakest links was Apple. And obviously Apple have never commented on whether they were or weren't interested, in, as is their kind of want. Um, Apple's in, Apple is going to be quite interesting itself. I mean, a lot of people are quite underwhelmed with uh, the iPhone 7, the newest iPhone of the lot. 
Um, didn't seem to have many incredible new features. I mean, it's still a very good product. You know, Apple tend to make very good products. It's what they do. But at the same time as they've released a mildly disappointing iPhone, they've also um, reportedly scrapped their self-driving car project. They haven't announced any updates to their line of um, laptop computers. That's the MacBooks for quite a long time. So they've got quite a lot of competition now from the likes of, say, Microsoft with the Surface 7, which is a kind of hybrid laptop uh, tablet device. Um, and obviously our other competitors as well have brought out new laptops, new desktops um, since Apple last made a major improvement. So it's not really clear how well the company is going to have done. I mean, every time that, every time Apple launches a new iPhone, there's always a big pickup in demand. So that will help the bottom line, obviously. But um, it would be nice to know from Apple what they're planning to do next, because not no one's really sure. We're kind of slightly in limbo at the moment, waiting for the next big idea from Tim Cook. It all makes me feel terribly old, I'm afraid. Um, I use Twitter, obviously. I'm also obsessed with it. But I don't understand how that company is ever going to make any sensible income, any sensible money. And what I think is fascinating is the way it shows the differentiation between the US investors approach and UK investors like myself, uh, my approach. I mean, I, I, I don't get these valuations. Some will probably be justifiable. I, I wouldn't write off Apple yet, though I think the James says there are certain... It, it's showing signs of ossification, of a gradual slowdown. Um, this is what happens. But Twitter, I just don't get. It's fascinating to think what sort of valuation the UK market will put on a company like Twitter. I suspect it would be a tenth. Philip? It's got no dividend, does it? You love your dividends, Martin. No, but then Amazon, not Amazon, yeah, Amazon has never paid a dividend, has it? Uh, and it's it's just reinvested all of its profits and gone growth of the... Uh, of its equity value has just gone through the roof. So uh, maybe maybe the US model does work occasionally. It's an interesting point about Amazon. Amazon was a an online bookseller that then became an online everything seller. And you'd have thought, well, that's kind of, you know, you'd expect that kind of expansion into those territories. But what's quite incredible about Amazon is the other, other businesses they've gone into and probably, um, I mean, the, the biggest expansion, uh, sorry, the, the most kind of... Uh, lucrative business they've gone into is cloud computing which has absolutely hugely boosted their bottom line i mean to a huge degree uh, and they're also doing things like experimenting with drones and you know it's all these things that you wouldn't necessarily associate with you know a company that was just an online bookseller so they've taken big risks under jeff bezos and it seems to be paying dividends for them or no, not literally paying dividends but um yeah, this is the kind of thing that you wonder about Apple because you thought, oh, they're going to self-driving cars, but that project's been dropped. So they've experimented with other things as well, and they've not quite taken off. So, as Martin mentioned earlier, you're just wondering whether this is a company that is on a long-term plateau. I just point out to Philip that, as you said, Amazon invested um, all its profits. Twitter doesn't have much of that to invest. I think there's a slight distinction there. Oh, well. Good point. It is a good point. Good point to end on. And thank you all very much indeed. And that's it, obviously, for now. But don't forget, you can keep up to date with all the news, views and analysis through your iPads, your tablets we've been talking about. And, of course, don't forget, in the paper every day. Uh, if you haven't got a subscription, then uh, you can get a special £1 offer from thetimes.co.uk. And don't forget, if you are a subscriber, you can sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime business email bulletins. If you want to hear us weekly, don't forget, too, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Philip Aldrich, Martin Waller, and in New York City, James Dean. They are all, believe it or not, on Twitter. So while it's there, do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.